Yeah, we're going on a trip today. <laughs> so uh, you, you don't necessarily have to have seatbelts on. So, uh, But we're going to go on a trip. Um, the first stop, LaSalle Church in Chicago. That's where we're headed. This is an old church. It was established in 1882 and still exists today. How many have been to Chicago? A lot of you. A lot of you. We're going to go for our first time, so we're sort of excited about that. But uh, this, um, this church has a long history. Philip Yancey, in his book, a little small book he wrote called Church, why bother? Is uh, describes this church while he was a member there, and uh, I just want to read for you a little bit uh, about his experience at this church that we've traveled to this morning. And uh, this this is around in the '60s when this has happened, and he was there '60s '70s. And there was a, in this chapter, I thought this was a pretty good little saying, to dwell in love with saints above, why that will be glory. To dwell below with saints I know, why that's a different story. There is the challenge, you know, in heaven everything's going to be right. And while we're here, Everything's not wrong, but we're sort of making our way through, aren't we? So, Yancey writes, It did not take long for me to notice that LaSalle Street Church was no ordinary church. On my very first visit, I found a seat directly behind a middle-aged black woman and her 13-year-old daughter. When we stood to sing, the girl turned around and grinned, at those of us in the pew behind her. We smiled back politely, and she continued grinning and staring at us. She seemed a little different. During the fourth stanza of the hymn, she bent over, grabbed the hem of her skirt, and lifted it over her head, exposing herself. Welcome to church. Over the next few years, we learned to count on the unexpected. One Sunday, a man aimed a football, perfect spiral pass, at the pastor who stood at the altar praying over a full tray of communion glasses. He opened his eyes just in time to dodge the missile. Another Sunday, a homeless man drank an entire tray of thimble-sized glasses, evidently unaware that we used grape juice for communion, <laughs> not wine. Once a street woman wrapped in miniskirts wandered to the platform during the sermon, started dancing and moving and talking aloud to the visiting speaker about the poison found in milk cartons. I remember sitting next to a visitor one Sunday, a woman of about 50, 
beautifully dressed in a silk blouse and crushed velvet skirt. She wore diamond earrings and her streaked hair was pulled back dramatically from her forehead. I had no clue that she might be slightly unbalanced until she burst out laughing when a senior citizen accidentally lit the wrong advent candle. The senior must have heard the laugh. So sorry, the senior stammered. I saw the pretty pink candle and my eyes went right to it, just like a little kid, she said. The visitor then leaned over to ask me about the half-burned purple candle. And I tried in vain to explain the Advent candle tradition. That's ridiculous, she said. They ought to throw that used candle away. The visitor then proceeded to give a running commentary during the entire service. She laughed out loud when the pastor broke the communion bread. Doesn't he know what the about the new wafers? She made fun of people going forward to receive communion. Those people are like zombies up there. Why don't they loosen up? When a doctor made an announcement about forming a new AIDS task force, she whispered, that's disgusting, talking about AIDS in church. And when the pastor in his sermon mentioned the word Yahweh, She nearly bolted. That word is so primitive. She said, doesn't he realize how old-fashioned he is? After the service finally ended, the visitor slipped on a mink coat, introduced herself to me as Vicky, and said, that's the most unusual mass I've ever been to. The people in this place cracked me up. Why wasn't everyone laughing? I tried to explain a few things about our church, but it occurred to me later that really Vicki had asked a very good question. That's <laughs> I have never been in worship services like that. Have you? No. It's <laughs> very unusual, I think, but it was pretty common there, I guess. or wasn't surprising. This church didn't close down because of its abnormalities. It grew. It grew. Now I, if I went to that church and somebody threw a spiral bass at a pastor and someone's drinking all the, the communion uh, filled glasses, I might would say, when I left, I'd say, Donna, I think we're going to look somewhere else. But that church exists to fulfill the mission of God where God has placed them. And they've discovered mission, and they've discovered purpose. They've had their challenges. The church exists and existed at this time in a line drawn between two communities, two neighborhoods. 
on one side towards the lake is what's called the Gold Coast neighborhood. And back in this day, it was one of the most upscale neighborhoods in the country. And on the other side was a very poverty-stricken neighborhood, the Cabrini Green neighborhood, it's called. And they exist right there almost on that line, ministering to both. Now, I'm not suggesting that Harvest needs to become LaSalle. That's a mistake, right? You say good thing, because if so, I'm out of here. But perhaps that points to an issue of concern for the church today. Perhaps the church has become a consumer product instead of a mission station. Perhaps we have become communities of traditions, personal preferences, and controlled entities. Now our next step, next stop on this trip is Harvest Bible Fellowship. Our pastor has been speaking about why we don't see movements of God anymore, hasn't he? And he's given us some good things to think about and to challenge us. And perhaps... We haven't seen some things of God's movement that we are controlling instead of submitting. That we're wanting to maintain the familiar to avoid the uncomfortable. To maintain the safe and avoid the risk. I'm not a risk taker. I'm not a risk taker. It took a lot for our financial advisor to move me from safe to moderate. (laughs) But, but, and I don't have to be someone else. But I do need to be faithful to what God has called me to do within the community he's placed me. Same goes for you. Maybe one issue along with the others Pastor Ken has told us is we're controlling instead of submitting. Let's read our passage. We're in Ephesians 2, verse 11. we we'll be reading through to verse 16. So Paul writes this to the Ephesians. He's in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he's writing to this church filled with Gentile believers. Non-Jews. And so he writes, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. That's how are you know. That's where you, you, you weren't Jews. You were Gentiles. called the uncircumcised by those called, quote, unquote, the circumcised. In other words, Jews were circumcised as marks of the covenant people. 
Gentiles were not. So there was a separation. And then he says, and this would have this would have been a real uh, I don't know slap in the face, perhaps, when he says those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. Wait a minute. That was something God gave us. Don't don't make it sound so ordinary. At that time, you were without Christ, without a Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's how you were seen. You were on the outside, not the inside. But now, but now, those are two very important words in Scripture whenever you read them. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our what? Peace. Who made both groups the Jews and the Gentiles is who he's referring to. Two people that at one time were totally seen in different camps, living in different communities, Cabrini Green and Gold Coast. For he is our who made both groups one. And tore down those barriers that kept us apart. That made me think that you were not part. You weren't eligible. Tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. Now that's, that's, that's a mouthful right there. What did he mean? Now wait a minute. I know what it says, but that ain't what he meant. We don't do away with the law. We keep the law. Paul, listen. <laughs> there is something that Christ did that brings us together and brings us and gives us peace that the law could not. He's not throwing things away, but he's saying first things first. You're not going to get there by keeping the law. You're not going to fellowship with the Gentile through the law. And if you emphasize that, you're building hostility and not an ambassador of peace.
he says, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself what? What? One new man. It's a new creation. Now Paul speaks of that in another place, doesn't he? Second Corinthians 5. Behold, what? Old things have passed away. All things. And when Paul says that, he uses language that says, look, it doesn't mean that old things are gone and bang, everything right now is new. It means that the old is going and it's being replaced by the new. And it is a process. Paul says in another place, we're being changed from one stage of glory to the next. So he says, create himself one new man from the two, resulting in what? Peace. He did this so that he might reconcile. That's peace. Reconciliation is peace. Reconciliation is recognizing differences and coming together in the midst of those differences to understand how we move together going the same way. So that he might reconcile both, both groups, Gentiles, to God in one body through what? The cross. The cross. By which he put the hostility to death. There was a lot of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. And we can look back historically and say, you know, hey, I don't have that anymore. We're moved way past that. I don't know, have we? Maybe we don't have the Jew-Gentile thing. Or maybe we got some other things. God's church seeks peace, reconciliation. It is a reconciler. It is a, and we are ambassadors of reconciliation that was accomplished in the cross through our friendships, through our working uh, uh, days, our work experience, our careers, our co-workers. doesn't mean that you have to read them John 3.16 14 times a day. It just means you need to be an ambassador of reconciliation as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, because that's the peace. And the peace that that you're an ambassador of goes right into conflict. Sometimes we think, man, peace is outside of conflict. This is peace that goes into the conflict. So, God's church seeks peace while becoming effective ministers of the gospel. So to 
this is a two-parter. <laughs> I'll be preaching next Sunday. And, uh, but what we want to talk about today is what hinders our pursuit. And in the passage, what, what do we see that hinders our pursuit as being our, our ability to be ambassadors of peace? Well, one is religious pride. Paul lists three areas that had become hindrances to fulfilling the gospel mission. To fulfilling the proclamation of the Messiah, who is Jesus. And I touched on those. He talked about circumcision. He talked about the covenants of promise. He talked about the law. Did Jesus not say, did Jesus say, a new covenant I give to you. Did he say that? What does that mean? And in our attempts, we try to tie it all together. In nice, neat packages. And I'm, I'm not against studying Scripture and studying theology. You know, I've done that, I do that. But understand this. When we study what's called systematic theology, that's a synthetic process. And what I mean by that, what does synthetic material mean? Huh? Man-made. Systematic theology, I'm not against it, but understand this, when we do that, we're establishing categories and we're establishing um, uh, Areas or articles that we make. And as we do that, we need to do it humbly saying, God does not fit all our categories. And anyone that seriously reads scripture will come to some passages when they go, I don't know. I don't know what you mean. But that ain't what I thought you meant. Because God is bigger. God has created one new man. God has worked in ways that bring reconciliation in and through our lives. And religious pride can hinder that. Peter's vision in Acts. Right? The sheet comes down with clean and unclean animals, and God says what? What? Kill and eat. And Peter says what? No. Not me. I've always kept the law. And what did God say? Okay, Peter, I just I misunderstood. You're a man of God. God didn't say that, did he? I'm very proud of you, Peter. You're making a strong stand. Did he say that? He said what? He said, kill and eat. <laughs> Peter had a lot more guts than I do. Oh, but he was honest, right? And eventually, eventually he learned the lesson. The religious pride 
was hindering the mission. He couldn't achieve what God wanted him to because of his religious pride. Everything's okay. I look. Okay, I go to church every Sunday, or at least most of them. I went to camp when I was little. I didn't. My wife did. We, we begin to build those things that make us godly. <laughs> and God says, wait, I'm doing a new work. Are you following me? Or are you trying to control me? Peter learned. What, had, what happened here was when Israel got those covenants and the law, it was to share. It was to be a light. To God would reveal his character through them to a world. But what it had become was a point of isolation and division. We'll pull back. You stay away. You Gentiles stay away. Paul got in trouble because he was charged with bringing some Gentiles into the courtyard. At one point, he had one mentee that he told he needed to be circumcised. And then when they put pressure on him again to say, well, listen, this one isn't. And to be saved, he needs to be. And Paul says, no, he's not going to be circumcised. When it came to a point of the, of the gospel, when it came to the point of being whether you're a Christian or not, Paul said, no. Your religious practice doesn't doesn't precede the grace that comes and the reconciliation that takes place in Christ. Let me ask this for me as well. Sometimes we come, I'm going to make a statement, then I'll ask a question. (laughs) Sometimes we come to church with the mentality we're going to check what the preacher says. And then, and I've been guilty of this, you know, we go away and say, man, I think he's way off on that. I think he's right on on that. And sometimes we walk away saying, I just want to hear what I believe. But shouldn't we come saying, I want to hear what God says about my life? What kind of discomfort will you and I allow in order to worship and honor God? I don't want to do that. I ain't coming where somebody's throwing a spiral pass at the pastor. 
what discomfort will you allow to be an ambassador of peace? Discomfort and inconvenience. I don't always do that. Read James 1 through 4. What hinders us? We talk about religious pride. Sometimes it's self justification. Sometimes it's things that we, we you know, we got pretty, we've, we've become pretty sophisticated at, you know, justifying what we do and accepting by God. You know, we may use grace to do what we want to do. Paul says, don't, don't use grace in order to have license to sin. <laughs> Sometimes we do that. Different ways. But in James 1 through 4, he speaks about why... And some of you don't know this name. Some of you will. So I'm going to date myself. How many of you have ever heard of Flip Wilson? <laughs> Okay, a few. Okay. So he was a comedian, African-American comedian. And one of the things he made famous was what? What did he say? The devil made me do it. How about that for a cop-out? Sure, the devil has his strategies. Sure, he's going to play the game with you. But he ain't going to make you do anything. And James... 1 through 4, it says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You do, you desire and don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, read the next verse because he says you do ask. <laughs> and when you ask and don't receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives. So that you may spend it what? On your own pleasures. You adulterous people. Adultery to who? God. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Now don't take that to mean, man, I, I, don't, I can't talk to anybody unsaved. Don't take it to mean that. But when your passion becomes what they have, and when you pursue that passion, and that's what Paul says, that's where the problem becomes. That's where the problem comes. It's what I want. It's not just the recognition of reality. God wants them to know him. And we are the ambassadors of that reconciliation. So we have to somehow touch. 
But when my passion becomes for theirs, then I'm pulled away. I'm asking, I, I begin to ask for the wrong things. We are light, salt, extending compassion and mercy with humility, not selfishness, lust, and sensual pleasures. Now, I said we were on a trip. We've been to Chicago, and we're back in Rochester. And I got my suitcase. And in this suitcase, we use this for trips. Don and I use this. I open that suitcase. I'll have things for the trip. Oh, a pair of shorts. I'll have a Harvest Billfield T-shirt. Oh, look at that. Dirty socks. They're not folded. They're dirty. When we come in, we're on a journey as ambassadors. And we carry our suitcase. It's packed with home, the homes we grew up in, the training we received, family values that were passed on, socioeconomic position, education or uneducated, professional or labor, personal experiences that are different. We all have those things packed in the suitcase and we come in and are part of our lives. And when we come into the church, we come into the door, those dirty socks don't fall out. They came right in with the suitcase. And those things in your life that aren't what should be are brought in. And you and I have the choice. We can keep the dirty socks with the clean, but it will affect our peace and it will affect our uh, ability to reconcile. But you've got to bring it in. It's who you are. It's part of who you are. And that's sitting under the searchlight of God. In John chapter 3, when Jesus has the conversation with Nicodemus, he says people don't come to the light because they don't want to come to the light. Because if they come to the light, what happens? They what? Yeah. They see. And the little things, you know, if you walk in a dark room, we got marks on our wall. I don't see them. I flip on the light, there they are. Donna says you need to paint that. <laughs> Jesus says to Nicodemus, people don't come to the light. They avoid it. They choose that because their desire is not to know. It's not a shame to have dirty laundry. We all have it. And you do your wash. It's not a shame to have dirty 
laundry. John says the one who says that they have no sin is a what? Liar. Well, let's not act. Let's be honest. And bring it in. Take it to the washer of the cross and get it clean. It's okay. We all have to do it. But in that process, you're going to have clean socks again that you can put on your feet and go about the mission. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. So as I close, how's the laundry? Today, maybe not about the amen, or I think, you know, I think the preacher was more on than not. It's by, has God said anything to you about what's hindering your trip, your pursuit of peace? And are you willing to take a risk? Am I willing to take a risk? I won't tell you. There's parts of that that scare me to my toes. Because when I say, yeah, I don't know what it is, right? But it's the only way to find peace. So whatever's hindering you, we're going to have a word of prayer. And uh, if there's something that's hindering you, you can voice that to God. Lift it up to God. And let him cleanse you. And the devil may use his strategies to say, hey, that didn't work. You still got dirty laundry. John says, if we confess our sins, God is what? Faithful, dependable, trustworthy, and what? Just. He's righteous. And he'll what? Cleanse us. That's his promise. So we're not perfect. We all got suitcases. But God says that's all right. Christ died for you. You're my ambassador. I want to use you to reconcile someone you know to me. Whatever your, your, whatever your suitcase holds, let's do the trip together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence with us today, for your love and mercy and your truth that you showed us, Lord, the devastation of our sin. You showed us in the cross that death is its fruit. But you also showed us in the resurrection that you cared enough for us that you conquered that for us. And if we come to you, you will show us, you will equip us, you will make us 
as you created us to be, even in the bad days when we didn't know you, there are certain aspects of our personality and person that you use to reconcile those around us. Help us, Lord, to be wise. Help us to come to the light. Help us to look in the light that we might see what you see. So anyone here today that may not know Christ, I pray that they would seek to accept and and open their heart to accept the grace that comes through confessing their sin and receiving forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and resurrection. May their life be changed today in a way that gives them purpose and meaning. Guide us, Father, to do the things you call us to do, not to take risks because we want to be presumptuous and prove our faith in you, but to take the risk you call us to when you call us to do so for your glory and not ours. So, Lord, we uh, just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.